1: Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Tanko's message today is entitled, The 144,000. That's the 144,000. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, you can call us at any time, 24-7. Here's the phone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now is Pastor Michael Tanko.
0: Who are the 144,000? Have you ever asked yourself that question? I mean, this number in the book of Revelation seems to dominate Christian speculation so many ways. Now, this question is one of those questions that has held the Christian imagination captive in hot pursuit of an active answer. Who are the 144,000? The 144,000 is a hotly debated topic in the Christian world, and there are essentially five views out there. Before we start today, I just want to give a quick uh, review of them. View number one is called the literal view. The proponents of this view hold that the 144,000 will be made up of 144,000 ethnic Jews who will turn to Jesus Christ and who will be sealed during the Great Tribulation. And they believe that this will be a remnant of Jews because the number is essentially literal. Now, view number two is the revised literal view. Still others believe that the 144,000 represents... All of ethnic Israel, not just some, but all of ethnic Israel, at least a majority that will be saved at the end of time. In this view, the 144,000 is not a remnant, but the whole, or at least, as I said, a large majority of the Jewish people. View number three is called the preterist or early view. Here, the 144,000 represents a Christian remnant of converted Jews in the first century in contrast to unbelieving Jews who didn't believe. So it kind of goes back and says it really represented people who turned to Christ centuries ago. View number four is the figurative or symbolic view. In this view, the 144,000 represent the complete number of God's people. Here, Israel is spiritual, representing God's people from every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue. A multi-ethnic Israel that embraces the world. And I'm really a proponent of view number four. View number five is the holy war view. Now this view is similar to the figurative or symbolic view, but it defines the group as the totality of the redeemed who conduct holy war for God at the end of time. As Israel was numbered before they conquered the Holy Land, this view holds that the 144,000 is in fact the product of God's military census, a spiritual numbering for spiritual conquest in the last days. I'm not so sure of that. Maybe there are points of it that I would agree with. But frankly, I don't care what any of these views are just because they're views. I want to develop a view from the Bible. What about you? I want to believe something because it sticks together from the Scriptures and its coherence. Let's go to the Bible and start working through this most difficult question. Who are the 144,000? Now, in the book of Revelation, the 144,000 are contextually the answer to the question that is asked in the sixth seal, Revelation 6.12. Let's read down to verse 17 where we have the question. And I saw when He opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the whole moon became as blood. And the stars from heaven fell upon the earth as the fig tree casteth its green figs when it is shaken by a great wind." And the heaven departed as a book folded up, and every mountain and the islands were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth and the princes and tribunes and the rich and the strong and every bondman and every free man hid himself for themselves in the dens and the rocks of the mountains. And they say to the mountains, And the rocks fall upon us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth upon the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. And here it is, verse 17. For the great day of their wrath is come, and here's the salient question. And who shall be able to stand? Who shall be able to stand? This is the vital question in the sixth seal. In Revelation 7, God provides the vital answer for us all. In Revelation 7, too, an angel is pictured. Rising from the east with the seal of the living God. And he is there to place a seal upon the servants of God that they might be ready for the day of the Lord. And four angels in the context are holding back the four winds of strife until this heavenly messenger working in in concert with these four angels effectively seals the servants of God on their foreheads. Revelation 7, 4, And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed out of every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 sealed out of the tribe of Judah. 12,000 out of the tribe of Reuben. 12,000 of the tribe of Gad. 12,000 of the tribe of Asher. 12,000 of the tribe of Naphtali. 12,000 of the tribe of Manasseh. 12,000 of the tribe of Simeon. 12,000 of the tribe of Levi. 12,000 of the tribe of Issachar. 12,000 of the tribe of Zebulun. 12,000 of the tribe of Joseph. 12,000 sealed out of the tribe of Benjamin. Now in Revelation 7, 4, John hears the number of those that are sealed. And what's the number? I mean, we just read in the Scripture, how many are sealed? One hundred and forty-four thousand. And after the one hundred and forty-four thousand are sealed, John then sees a great multitude that no man can number, standing before God's throne, dressed in white, ready to go home. Now, this is a literary device. When, whenever we in the book of Revelation, you have a group where it says, I heard, or something where it says, I heard. And then it says, I saw. It's a literary device that really is saying, they're the same group. Like when John heard the voice of Jesus in Revelation one ten, he then saw Jesus in Revelation 1.12. So here, John, hears the number of 144,000 sealed. And then he sees a great multitude that no man can number. So based upon this literary device that's used here of hearing and seeing, the same thing, the 144,000 John hears in verse 4 is by implication the great multitude that he sees in verse 9 that no man can number. Only God can number His people. The great multitude that no man can number is by implication the 144,000 that only God can number. God knows those who belong to Him and not a single person is missing that God has brought close to His heart. And there they are, the answer to the question, who will be able to stand? Revelation 7, 9, And after this I looked, and behold a great multitude which no man could number, from every nation and tribe and people and tongue standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And cried out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. Now I'm grateful this morning that salvation is not something I've figured out on my own, that I was somehow able to do on my own, that through my own good works I could acquire I mean, this group that stands before God at the end of time articulate in a joyful song of praise, a loud voice that God and the Lamb are the reason they get to glory. They don't get to glory because they tried hard. They don't get to glory because they were good enough. They got to glory because of God and the Lamb. Who shall be able to stand is the vital question at the end of time. And dear heart, it's the question that everyone here must ask for themselves. Will I be able to stand when Jesus comes? And the answer is clear in the context. Those who are sealed with the seal of the living God are the ones who will be able to stand. Now based on that, how many of you want to receive the seal of God? <laughs> I do. It's given as the answer to the question. Those who are sealed, the 144,000, are those who will stand. Now the sealing of the 144,000 comes after this question, who should be able to stand? So in the book of Revelation, the 144,000 are those sealed by the sealing angel at the end of time. Now, what does this number represent? Inquiring minds want to know. Am I right? That's what they say. Inquiring minds want to know. Just don't read the National Inquirer, please. Now, first look at it mathematically. 144,000 is 4 squared times 1,000, right? Right? 12 squared, you're right. 12 squared times 1,000. 12 times 12 is 144. Now, I got a seminary degree, but I didn't get a mathematics degree. So every now and then I goof up. You're right. A for is 12 squared times a thousand. But the key number is 12, isn't it? So in the Bible, there are 12 patriarchs before the flood, right? There are 12 tribes of Israel. There are 12 apostles of the early church. And in the book of Revelation, there are 12 foundations to the new Jerusalem. So what's the significance of the number 12? 12 is the number for God's people in the Bible. So 12 times 12 indicates a perfect multiplication of God's people. Now let's break down the number 12 by factoring it out. 12 is a multiple of 3 and 4. 3 times 4. So 3 times 4 equals 12. 3 is the number for God in the Bible. God the Father, God the Son, that's right, and God the Holy Spirit. Now 4 is the number for the four angels who stand at the four corners of the earth. So the number 4 in the Bible represents the world, a global number. So we have the number three for God and the number four for the world making up the number twelve. I mean, what did God tell Abraham? That his descendants would bless the world, that through them all the nations of the earth would be blessed. We have that here. Blessed through the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So now, But twelve is also a multiple of two times six. Good, you get an A. In the Old Testament, there were two stacks of bread with six pieces in each stack on the table of showbread in the holy place. The table of showbread with these two stacks of six represented God's Word for His people and the living presence of the living Word who is Jesus. So in a sense, 12 would indicate a people who follow the Word of God at the end of time. Not just a people who follow God, but a people who follow the Word of God as well. Friends, based on these numbers, there is indication that there will be a people on earth when Jesus returns who love the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit with undivided hearts who have a global impact in human culture at the end and who are faithful and obedient to the bread of life, to the Word of God, committed to His Word. All that in the number 12. Now look at Revelation 14, verse 1. Then I looked, and low on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with Him 144,000 who had His name and His Father's name written on their foreheads. In Second Samuel six two, the Ark of the Covenant that contained the Ten Commandment Law of God was called by the name of the Lord. Now let's take the second half of this, twelve times a thousand, right? Now a thousand when you factor it, what's the basic factoring number there? It's a multiple of tens, that's right. And what is ten famous for in the Bible? The Ten Commandments, the Law of God. Do you realize that in the Old Testament, just before we get to Genesis 5, one, when the names of God are mentioned, we have them in perfect symmetry. The name Elohim appearing 40 times in isolation by itself before the new poetic unit. But the name of Yahweh or the Lord appearing 10 times before there is a new unit. The number 10 is the number that surrounds God's name. And it makes sense here. You know, the Ark of the Covenant was called by the name of the Lord. So in a sense, when you speak of the Ten Commandments that was inside the ark, you're talking about the name of the Lord. I mean, when God signs His name, who He is, on a piece of stone or something like that, He's really describing His law because that is His name. And when you have the Father's name and the name of the Lamb on your forehead, you are obedient by faith to the Ten Commandment law of God. In this sense, the 144,000 represent an end-time group of people who will not intentionally set aside one precept of the Ten Commandment law of God. They have the name of God written on their foreheads, which means that God's law is written on their hearts and minds. They are global people who love God, who obey God's word, who keep the law not to be legalistic, not to find merit to be saved, not to say to God, well, I've been good today, so you have to save me. No, none at all. They keep the law of God because they have looked at the cross of Calvary. They realize that the cost of law-breaking brought Jesus to that cross and His blood was shed for the sins of the world and their sins. And they have the seal of the living God on their forehead because they value the heart and mind of God in their heart and mind and life. In Revelation 14.12, they're described as a Christ-centered, obedient people at the end of time. Revelation 14.12, here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Now, in Deuteronomy 6.8, the Ten Commandment Law of God was placed on the forehead. In Revelation 7.2, the seal of God is placed on the forehead. In Revelation 14.1, though, the name of the Father, the name of the Lamb is placed on the forehead. Now, put it all together. God's law, God's truth in Jesus, God's name, the Lamb's name, are the same thing. I mean, where the law of God was placed as frontlets between the eyes. There we find the name of God, the name of Jesus. God's law is His name. The 140,000 are an end-time company of believers who have the seal of the living God written on their foreheads because they are not ashamed of God's law or of Jesus. And more importantly, they are not ashamed of Jesus who died for them because they know they broke the law. And Jesus is the one who took their place at the cross. They keep the commandments of God and they have the faith of Jesus when others will worship the beast in its image. They believe. You know, when people say, well, I have faith in Christ. you ever hear that? I have faith in Christ. And then they say, the law was nailed to the cross. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm a Christ-centered, cross-centered Christian. You cannot be a Christ-centered, cross-centered Christian and willfully set aside a single precept of God's holy law. Impossible. But if you are a Christ-centered, cross-centered Christian, you will realize that the law is not just a, a bunch of rules written on a piece of stone. The law was beating in the heart of Christ that was broken at the cross of Calvary. The law that is the very name of God was written in blood in terms of the signature that guaranteed God's covenant of grace to us at the cross. And you will believe that Jesus is the reason it can never be broken. You know, we're the great preachers of our day that are loyal to the Bible. I ask that question. You know, we need to hear more about a Christianity in the pulpit that believes in God's law and that believes in Jesus too without contradiction. Friends, it's not legalism to obey God and keep His commandments. It is faith in action, His love at work that obeys. And the Bible calls this kind of faith the faith of Jesus. The 144,000 represent God's people who are redeemed from the entire earth Now this would indicate that they are a global, multi-ethnic Israel that is spiritual, committed to God, committed to His truth at the end of time. Revelation 14.3, no one could learn that song, that new song, except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. And so this number really is symbolic of a global people at the end of time who love the Lord, who share their faith, who, who hold true to the Word of God, and who are willing to follow Jesus no matter what. So the thousand are pictures of a group of people who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Revelation 14, 6, the Bible says this, They follow the Lamb. Now let those words soak in. They follow the Lamb. Uh, there are many people you can follow in life, but there's only one that is really worth following, and that person is Jesus, the Lamb of God. I want you to hear me today. I hope you don't follow me. Did you hear me? I hope you don't follow me because I'm trying to follow the Lamb. And I would rather walk at your side and hold your hand as we follow Jesus together than to have someone follow me and not follow Jesus. You hear me? I don't want a following at the end of time. I want to follow Jesus. I don't care if I pastor 3,000 people or three people. I want to minister to that man or woman that Jesus is working with. I want to follow the Lamb. By God's grace, I choose to follow Jesus this day. Are you with me? Good. Then we are following the hero who is the Savior. And at the end of time, God's people are saved won't be advocates of following a preacher here or there or a mega church pastor or a group of pastors or even a denomination. They will follow the Lamb and they will keep the Word of God with the faith of Jesus. And that which causes them to unite will be the Lamb of God and the Word of God as they come together in God to go up the mountain into the presence of God. And they may not meet in the thousands and stadiums, but they will meet together on Mount Zion with the Lamb and on the Sea of Glass. Friend, following the Lamb is what it's all about. The 144,000 are those who have not defiled themselves with women, the Bible says. And you go, wow, what's going on here? Well, look at Revelation 14.4. It says, these are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they kept themselves pure. Now, this reference to women here is symbolic. It's not an advocacy of being harsh to women or feeling bad about marriage. It's not to be taken literally. It has a symbolic significance. Now, in the book of Revelation, a woman symbolizes a church religious system. It can either be good or bad depending on the context. The pure woman of Revelation 12 represents God's people, the heavenly Jerusalem and the church on earth that is faithful to Jesus. In contrast, the harlot of Revelation 17 represents a fallen church system at the end of time that will never be the bride of Jesus Christ because she sits on a beast in the wilderness. She's stuck in the wilderness. She doesn't go to the promised land. She just wants to stay where she's at in the world. And this woman will never go to the promised land because she is in love with the beast that represents the world kingdom system. Now, in Revelation 17, 5, the mother church, which is the harlot of the apocalypse, is called the mother of harlots. She's not faithful to Christ because she's enamored with the political relationships she has acquired throughout the centuries. And she represents, in a real sense, the corruption of a broad cross-section of, of the Christian church at the end of time that still clings to form and tradition instead of the truths of the Word of God. Now, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of pressure in the Christian world today to just get along and compromise what the Bible teaches and to compromise Jesus Christ and what He taught so we can feel like we're part of a big group hug. And I, I don't know about you, but that's not what the Lord's calling me to do. I want to stand with Christ and with those that are faithful at the end. The 144,000 are a group of end-time believers whose loyalty is fixed on Jesus instead of a fallen church system. Now, if a church compromises God's Word at the end of time, should you remain in that church if it throws the gospel out? Yes or no? No. What if it says this, God's law is obsolete. There is no holy moral standard anymore. Can a Christian remain in a fellowship that would defy the very Ten Commandment covenant law of God? And the answer would have to be no. Yet we find many fellowships today where that is exactly what is occurring, where compromise and convenience has taken the place of Christian principle and the right stand. If a church compromises God's Word at the end of time, the 144,000 will not compromise God's Word to be popular and liked. The harlot adorns herself with all the glitter of the world, but the woman that belongs to Jesus is dressed in light and the symbols of truth. There is Christian simplicity in, among the 144,000. That is what it means when it says they have not defiled themselves with women. They have not gone after false religious systems. They have followed Jesus. They take the word of God and they live it and they believe it and they share it and they follow truth wherever it leads. They're not church centered Christians, but they're Christ centered Christians. In Revelation 14, 4, the Bible says, The 144,000 are first fruits to God and to the Lamb. Now, what does this comparison to first fruits mean here? The answer is found in Exodus 23, 19. Take your Bibles and turn with me. The Bible says, The first of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring where? Into the house of the Lord your God. Very good. So at the end of time, the 144,000 are first fruits to God, meaning they go to God. They go right into the presence of God at the second coming of Jesus. They don't stay in the world. They go to God. They go right into His house and they are treasures kept by God. The 144,000 are a Christ-like group of people who will receive the spotless character of Jesus by faith reproduced in them corporately through the Holy Spirit. Look at Revelation 14, verse 5. The Bible says, "...and in their mouth no lie was found, for they are spotless." Here's an end time group of people that treasure the truth. They don't pull a philosophy book off the shelf and test the Bible by it or don't take some archaeological discovery and say, well, the book of Daniel is wrong because we don't see it historically. They let the Bible stand. They follow it. and In time, the truth of God is found in them in full. Jesus' friend was the Lamb of Isaiah 53 that had no lie in Him. And as the spotless Lamb, He was destined for slaughter to save us all. The 144,000 at the end of time will die for the Lamb if that is what it takes to share Jesus with people who don't know the Lamb. Now, you put it all together, and the 144,000 represents a group of people who overcome for Jesus. Period. They follow the Lamb. The 144,000 are sealed from the spiritual tribes of Israel. Now, Israel, by definition, is a group that overcomes. I mean, Let me ask you this question. When you were baptized, how many of you have been baptized in the past? Raise your hand. When you were baptized, did you tell the Lord something like this? Well, I'm being baptized today, but I don't believe I can have a changed life. Is that what you did? No. When you were baptized, did you not believe that when you went down into that water and you came out, that the power of God could give you a new life? Yes or no?
1: Thanks for listening today. If you enjoyed today's broadcast, remember that there are many more of these sermons available for you at reachingyourheart.com. If you're a regular listener to this broadcast, or if you've just tuned in for the first time and have been inspired by this sermon, and you'd like to partner with us to help keep these radio broadcasts on the air, you can simply call us at 1 888 244 HOPE. That's 888 244 HOPE, day or night, 24 7. One of our team is available to assist you right now. We believe God is moving across the globe, touching lives and reaching hearts. And you are helping make this a reality with your gift of any amount. Spiritualism in a variety of forms is making its way through the Western world. The afterlife, the spirit world and spirit mediums can be found in movies, best-selling books and popular TV programs. These themes are making their way into our children's entertainment even. Have this free book to help you understand things a little bit better entitled Dark Tunnels or Bright Lights. This book candidly reveals biblical truth about this subject and pulls the curtain aside to reveal why there is so much interest in this topic. The book reveals the deceptions of spiritualism based on biblical teachings so that you can confidently discern truth from error as the topic continues to gain momentum across all levels of society. Now, this book is absolutely free. You can simply call us at 1-888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-HOPE, day or night, 24-7. Thanks for tuning in, and we pray that God is reaching your heart and growing you up in Christ through these messages.